Hello and welcome back to another episode of Raw and Real with Stephanie Fernandez. I'm Stephanie, your podcast host. I'm a rapid transformational therapist and founder of Your Freedom Program. I work with women who would like to take back their life, returning to themselves on their healing journey. In this podcast, we give the stage to women who overcome adversity and trauma or difficult phases in their life. Be ready to get real emotions from real people. The stories we share here are to inspire women just like you that anything is possible. In today's episode, we will be talking about domestic violence. According to the UN, about one in three women worldwide have been subjected to violence from an intimate partner. I get goosebumps just by saying that. It's a major public health problem and a violation of women's human rights. My guest today is Victoria Quarry. Victoria is a survivor of domestic violence and has become disabled due to abuse. Today, she's an advocate for survivors of domestic violence and a motivational speaker. She's also an advocate for special needs families. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So you are one face behind the statistics. You are one in three women. That is correct. Please tell us your story today. Stephanie, the statistics really aren't justified in the fact that you think that one in three are in some type of an abusive situation. That's what's reported. What isn't reported? Out of fear of retribution from their abuser. Mine goes a little deeper. Mine was military-based abuse. So mine was uh, an active duty soldier that was abusing me. And his military command did nothing to help me. They actually witnessed it firsthand. They watched him uh, break my nose and they did nothing. I know that not all of the military in the United States is that way. I know that. And I'm not saying for a minute anything negative about the United States military. But this particular platoon and command did nothing. They turned a blind eye. And I was pregnant during the entire course of my abuse. And I kept going up the chain to reach out to get assistance. And everybody in the military turned a blind eye. They just didn't care. And I went through the advocate team of the military. I ended up learning about what's called a transitional compensation, which was never offered to me. I've had over a hundred surgeries to correct what was done to me, none of which were elective. I didn't get any nip or tuck or anything of that nature. Um, I was put into the ICU and told I wasn't going to survive. I went into a preterm labor with my daughter because of it. I, I was in this look. I literally was. He isolated me from everyone. Um, it didn't start, the abuse did not start until I got pregnant. And he later on said he knew I wouldn't have stayed had he begun the abuse prior to me getting pregnant. I was in the corporate world and I traveled for work. And the way we got married and the way that we moved in together really fell within a two-week period of got married and then shortly thereafter moved in. Um, and then we got pregnant right away. Uh, not planned, but don't regret it for a second. That's the love of my life is my daughter. And 
the minute I found out I was pregnant, that's when he escalated. And that's when I started to realize this isn't me. This didn't just happen to me. I'm not going to be that woman. I'm not that woman. And it just kept going. I made a deal with the devil, Stephanie. I did. I told him that as long as he did not hit my stomach, I wouldn't fight back. Because the one thing you learn is that you don't fight back, but you can't stop. And when he would wake me up, straddling me, punching me in the face to wake me, to tell me to go get him some water, you knew that this was not something that was just going to easily go away. Um, I knew that I have one chance to get out and survive. I did attempt to get out once, and he shot and killed our puppy to show me what he would do to me if I left. So I realized then that this was much worse than most people could imagine. And whether it's one hit or a hundred, it's still too many and it's not justified. I don't care. And what really bothered me is that people just would see me at work and they wouldn't say anything. It was like they were afraid or I had the plague or, you know, like I had COVID and nobody wanted to come near me because they thought it was going to rub off on them. And that's not true. And when people would come up to me, it's like, well, what did you do to make him mad? Why did you make him mad? Why didn't you just do what he wanted? And those are the things you don't say to somebody going through the situation because we have enough on us. We have enough humiliation. We have no self-esteem. We have no self-worth. And when that is stated to us, it just makes it 10 times worse and brings us down even lower if that's at all possible. So when this was going on, I, over the course of eight months, had numerous breaks and fractures I was stabbed over a dozen times. I have lost hearing in both of my ears. So I have hearing aids. Um, if you look, I don't know if you can see, I had 26 pieces of metal put in my face and I had the scars on, on both sides. They had to replace both of my jaws, the joints. Um, all of this is metal in my face. I have a metal shoulder, knee, foot. I have screws and pins. I'm partially paralyzed. and like I literally went through this alone. And so I began advocating because I didn't have anyone. I had no one. And I know how painful that is. And he wouldn't even let me have ice packs. So I would lay on the cold floor because that's all I had. And when I would go unconscious, I just sometimes didn't want to wake up, but I would feel my daughter. And it was like, okay, there's more than one of us here. I need, I need to get up. I need to move. Well, the last bad, bad attack, they're all bad, but the big attack. Um, he put me into ICU. They gave me a 2% chance of survival. My daughter came out of an emergency C-section and was life flighted to another hospital where she stayed for just shy of six months. And they told me that I wasn't going to make it. We both coded during the delivery and I was put into a wheelchair. I was unrecognizable. I didn't want anything fixed on me unless it was life-threatening. I wanted to get to my kid. So I did. I stayed by her side. I decided I was going to do whatever I had to do to get him out of the picture. So I own my responsibilities. If I've done it, I'll own it. I did yell at his command. They actually came to see me in the hospital, and I yelled and screamed and said, I'm here because of you. Get out. I did. I absolutely did. I own it. Who wouldn't? And I said, I told you he was going to kill me. You didn't protect me. How is it that 
soldiers are supposed to protect the citizens and yet you can't even protect your own on their own soil get out so how did you experience that you were totally alone and then those who could have helped you wouldn't help you how was that for you i i had no communication with family or friends he made sure i didn't have that he made me call once i reached my office so he could see it on the caller id that i was there um it was incredibly lonely it was incredibly hard uh all i've ever wanted was to be a wife and a mother that was my goal um everything else i'd already achieved everything and so that baby was my gift from god and i don't push religion on anyone i i know that i was meant to be a mom and she was meant to be mine so i fought as hard as i could i stayed beside her and she has had 34 surgeries she is an inspiration she is so full of life she advocates she does a fundraiser every year for kids like herself and we raise between 3 and 400 brand new toys and we distribute them to other kids and she loves it and she doesn't want anything back she just wants to help she's the greatest gift amazing so when she was in the hospital i was being interrogated constantly who saw him break your nose who saw him do this well stephanie anybody who's ever been in my position will tell you that you're not looking at your surroundings when you're getting your face beaten in you're not sitting there going well who's over at my 11 o'clock who's in my you don't watch that and they're like well then you must not have really had it done i you were standing there so i started to just type because my daughter was in a medically induced coma you couldn't stimulate her i wasn't leaving i stayed there around the clock so i just started typing and i had the most amazing doctor say to me you need to put this out to help people and i said there's no way and she said well, your medical file came with your daughter because y'all this is you know so we know what happened and it was embarrassing and i was a wreck i didn't look like myself um and i had bruises and other things on me and so i just kept writing and writing and writing and after 10 years i finally published my memoir and a portion of my book which is on amazon i donate for other special needs um organizations so we do that as well to try to help what's the name of your book who kicked first what would you say helped you in your recovery my daughter um she is such a fighter we talk about we'll walk this journey of life hand in hand as mother and daughter we don't quit we never give up um the fact that i advocate for other kids and when i see a smile on a kid's face it's infectious it's just it's contagious and that's why we call our group a contagious smile because every smile tells a story i don't care if it's a cranial facial child i don't care what the situation is their smile has an amazing story to be told and i want to highlight that i want to spotlight that i want them to find their inner beauty so when i was going through this i had the best grandparents you've ever ever known in your life they've already passed and i kept just like channeling them in my faith and praying constantly i knew i'd get through this i didn't know when um i absolutely wanted to give up but i knew if i did he'd get her and that wasn't an option so i actually fought and got his rights terminated so he can't be anywhere near her we both have restraining orders and 
we have not seen him in a very, very long time. Good. So you feel safe in the life that you have now? Yes. And believe it or not, I've had a lot of women that I speak with ask me, you know, how do you ever feel like you can, you know, be with anyone again? And for the longest time I did, I never thought I could. My true love and soulmate I had before my ex-husband and we broke up and then I met this creep. And I'm so happy to say that he and I got back together and now we're married. So it's <laughs> beautiful. Oh my God. And it, and it, it's kind of odd that he went with me to court. Um, my now husband went with me to court and my abuser, because he doesn't deserve the title of anything other than, and then that hated him, absolutely hated him. And so here we are now. And now he is my daughter's dad and she worships him and, there you go. Oh. So when you look back, what do you um, define now in hindsight as the barriers to come forward? Like you mentioned, you stayed for eight months until it was enough, until it you couldn't handle it anymore. Right. It was enough the first time he hit me. I couldn't get out because I didn't have enough proof. And every time I went to his command, They turned their eye away. They just were like, oh, you must have made him mad. What did you do? Well, I've come to learn that military has an even higher rate of abuse within their families. And they're not doing anything about it. It's overlooked. They're protecting their soldiers. That's not okay. That's absolutely not okay. And I knew from the get-go that I absolutely had to get enough evidence together to protect myself and my child because she wasn't going to be alone with him. And that's what I needed to make sure. So I was working, trying to get money together so that I could get money and put it aside and be able to get out. Um, I was working with uh, a safety plan to get stuff together so that I could get out safely. And the, like I said before, when I attempted it the one time, he shot and killed our puppy to show what he would do to me if I, if I left. So I had to get enough proof so that he could not get her because he threatened constantly that he would get her and I was petrified that he would. So I just had to get enough. And then I went to the civilian sector of the police and they were just dumbfounded and they kept saying, why do you have so much proof? Why? Well, nobody would listen to me and I had medical documentation. I had sworn affidavits. I have photographs. I had everything you could possibly imagine. I had witness statements and everybody literally, Stephanie just kept saying, why make him mad? Why'd you make him mad? And I kept getting proof to say, it's still happening. Nobody's helping me. I'm pregnant. What is, gonna, what is it going to take? And that's why I had so much proof. And then when I went to get the rights terminated, which is, I haven't checked the statistics, um, and I should have, uh, but it was like one in one every 100,000 requests gets approved because they don't believe in, in terminating rights unless it's voluntary. And I absolutely went and got it. And it was just the best day ever because from day one, she's always been mine. She's never been his. That's my kid. What would you recommend women who are currently in the same situation that you have been? They need to recognize the red flags. Uh, the average woman returns to their abuser seven times on average. And they need to realize he's not going to change. He's going to tell you he's sorry. 
that he was drunk. He didn't mean it. Then he's going to go back to that charming, charismatic, sweet person that you fell for in the beginning. And then it's going to be the flip of the light switch again. He's not going to change permanently, you know, and I tell most women, if that's the case, why did, did you take seven times to see it? Because you knew that it wasn't going to change. You don't blame fault on the victim ever because it's not their fault. Whatever was done did not justify getting your hands, getting their hands put on you. It doesn't matter what it is. And I say to them when I've talked to some women, Stephanie, that have absolutely no self-esteem, no self-worth. And I say to them, what if this was your daughter and this was her husband? How would you feel? What would you want your daughter to do? And if there's kids involved, those kids are seeing that behavior. They're seeing how their dad or stepdad or mom's boyfriend is treating that lady, that woman, the mother. And they're saying, well, it must be okay to be that way. Or it must be okay to have a man do this to me. And it's not. You have to go ahead and, and, and stop it. And so start looking for those red flags. Start very slowly getting things together, get a safety plan. I go through on my uh, website, I teach classes about getting the plans together, how to get evidence together, how to do it, you know, where he can't find it. Mine found it um, a couple of different times, which I ended up going through and getting stabbed for. Um, you just have to be very smart about it. And when you're ready to go, you have to watch for the exact perfect time to be able to go because that is when the violence will escalate because you he'll think you are leaving. So you just really have to be smarter than him. And that really doesn't take much because to me, that's not a man, that's a coward. If you're going to hit a woman, then that doesn't make you a man. And I've said to many, many women, if he's hit you, he'll hit those children. It's just a matter of time and it will happen. And you have to protect your child because that's your responsibility is to protect that child. And you need to protect yourself because you're worth more. You need to see your inner light. because You're beautiful and you're here for a reason. And we're going to bring that back. We're going to help bring that light back. That's so valuable. Your contribution to the community is so valuable because as you said, you were alone. You didn't have anyone that would help you that you could turn to in trust. Um, I'm sure that, you know, women appreciate your advocacy and your support on that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. In hindsight, if you could meet your younger self or the Victoria from back then, with the things you know today, what would you tell her? To look for more red flags. Don't jump in to anything. This was, this was the only time I ever so-called rebound. But I did the right thing. I didn't live with him until we were married. But I didn't date him long enough. Um, you're worth more than you give yourself credit for and you have so much to offer. I've always been into paying it forward, but not on this level and not to this diverse group that I'm working with. You just have to follow your gut. If you feel like this is something that's not right, then listen to yourself, listen to your heart because you are so worth it. That's why we give birth to, to children, not men. That's why we are able to do everything that we do is because we are strong and you need to find that strength and hold on to it. And if you find yourself in that situation, then listen to your heart, follow your gut and just get out and get safe. 
Thank you so much, Victoria, for sharing that. Guys, if you would like to connect with Victoria, head over to her website, acontagioussmile.com, and get her book, Who Kicked First? I'm convinced, Victoria, that your story will give other women the strength and the hope they need to take back their life, to reconnect with their intuition and with their core strength that they can get out, that they are strong enough to overcome this and they are stronger than the guy that hits them. Absolutely. And if I can just say one thing, when a woman gets to that point and they say, I'm not worth it, I can't do this, I can't do this, I hit rock bottom. I didn't turn to drugs, I didn't turn to alcohol, but I was an executive in the corporate world and I had everything going for me. And then I went from that to literally almost homeless to having nothing. I am disabled now, I'm deaf now, I have metal everywhere in my body. I literally, I'm partially paralyzed, but I get up every day and I smile and I take life and I love it because I wasn't supposed to be here and you don't take one single thing for granted. And if I can help one person realize their self-worth, then it's absolutely worth it. That's so true. I love how you just put that. Thank you so much. Guys, if you like this episode, give me a like and a review and share it with anyone you think could benefit from listening to Victoria's story. I'm sure there are women out there who need to hear that. Until next time, at Raw and Real, with Stephanie Fernandez. Bye now.